The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome back to Pastoralia on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm Father McKenna, and I'm normally the guest of this series, but I'm returning here for this episode again to play the role of the host one more time and uh, to speak with our special guest, Dr. Daniel Stanislawski. For those of you who haven't listened to the episode 19 yet on vaccines, what we did together, Dr. Daniel Stanislawski is a doctor in molecular biology and biochemistry, and he is one of my parishioners here up in North Dakota in Grand Forks. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we've been living in this really bizarre new world as of late, and this is what this whole series, this mini-series, I guess you could say, that we are doing now is about when we recorded the first vaccine show it was a show that was done before covid ever even came to be in our lexicon really at least the the common lexicon in the science world it it was known but you know not to uh, to the general population and with that a lot has changed and so we're covering some of the science-based effects on our lives and whether they're really based in science and whether and what the repercussions towards health and humanity can be. And I think one of the most overtly obvious changes that has come into society that we see literally everywhere about us now is that we live now in a masked world, mm-hmm. uh, faced, shielded, no more smiles, no more frowns, no more expressions to be seen out there no we all have to put a mask on to cover our nose and our mouth at all times as the repeated message on the airplane reminds us that it is as the proper way of wearing a mask now i think that in understanding that where we are in society with that again you may be listening from somewhere in the world that might be very blessed and not have a mass mandate. I think those are in the minority these days as to people that do not live under a situation where the mask is now a mandatory piece of aperture to be worn by the population. But even if you do live in one of those fortunate places, you know that largely speaking, in general population, there have been mandates about the necessity to wearing masks, that this is something that is a good thing. It is going to prevent you from getting people sick. In fact, it's not so much about protecting your own health. It's an act of charity. We're protecting other people. And that if you don't want to kill my grandma, well, then you better mask up, bud, because otherwise you're a grandma slayer. And like I said, this is our new reality, like it or not. It's, it's being forced upon us. So 
to start off, we should explore why the powers that be, the so-called experts, politicians, things like that, are telling us that we need to wear a mask. What is their rationale for doing something that really is very foreign in that idea of the general population wearing a mask? What, what, what's their reasons for that? Well, it, that stems from how the virus SARS-CoV-2 is transmitted. Um, it's been shown that it's been transmitted through fecal oral route, as well as fomite contact. And fomites are any object that can carry the virus that you come in contact with. So like the dirty doorknob type of thing? Exactly, exactly. Um, but the primary means by which SARS-CoV-2 is transmitted is through aerosol transmission, meaning you, you breathe it out, you respire it, and you exhale it, right? And from that comes the theory of mask. And like a lot of other theories in the medical world, it sounds awesome. You put a mask over your mouth, and therefore you're significantly inhibiting the ability to transmit this virus, right? So how are they saying when you breathe out that the virus is being carried predominantly are they saying it's just in the very air we breathe or is it what is their rationale because obviously and we'll get into this more too later on about the science really behind it but you know when i breathe anybody who wears a mask it's not like wearing a rubber balloon over your face where you breathe out but you can't breathe out and nothing escapes so is it carried on the air or is it carried is the air allowed to pass through and the virus is theoretically stopped by the mask or is it carried on something that's in our breath or how does that work theoretically it's in droplets that you exhale right so Um, sort of like the mist that comes out of your mouth on a cold day you can see you can visually see what's always coming out right exactly and they come in all various sizes right and so theoretically the mask is catching those and stopping it from getting into someone else that's in the room with you right or someone you're standing next to or whatever happens to be okay so the the idea is that we breathe out and out comes the virus and it's contained in that mist that flies through the air and that the mask prevents the virus from passing through or at least in large quantity right correct theory yeah i mean we're we're talking about what what the powers that be say this is why it prevents this is why it's 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 effective in a sense so with that it seems to me that okay if i'm sick with coronavirus and i'm breathing out this polluted mist as it were then if the mask works then in a way it seems to make sense that i would have to wear a mask based on that theory right however we're not seeing a requirement of sick people to wear masks we're seeing the requirement of everybody to wear a mask correct so what would be the rationale for again what's the 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 stated rationale for everybody to, to wear a mask. And this uh, involves a word that has become common parlance for people, and that's the word asymptomatic. So the theory is, is that people, unbeknownst to themselves and unbeknownst to the people around them, are actually sick, even though they're displaying no signs of sickness, and that these individuals, when they are, you know, exhaling, are potentially exhaling a deadly pathogen into the air that you might pick up as well, right? And so what an asymptomatic carrier is, is someone who is without symptoms, but at the same time, they, they test positive 
for the presence of SARS-CoV-2 virus within their bodies. So, so I could be walking around right now and feel perfectly healthy and well, but they're saying that I could also at the same time be carrying coronavirus. And even though it hasn't made me sick by breathing that out and affecting another person, that coronavirus that's not making me sick could, though, make this other person sick because they could have a different immune reaction to that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is one of the you know, pillars that the lockdowns and, and the school closures and all this stuff is based upon. It's based upon this theory that an individual, though not in appearance, is diseased, is actually carrying the disease, right? Yeah. It's carrying the COVID-19. Okay. How would we, I mean... <sighs> We, like you said, we've been hearing about this asymptomatic carrier. We've been seeing that it's applied in vast measures across society now. Not only are we all wearing masks, but you see that you know there's nobody in, in sporting stadiums. You know, like you said, they closed down schools. They've since you know started up sports things, but you're seeing people being tested almost daily that are the athletes in in those sporting events and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so this is what they're testing for. They're testing for to see presumably if they were really sick, they would probably raise their hand and say, hey, I'm I'm not feeling too well. I probably should right. you know sit this one out. But mm-hmm. but if they're feeling perfectly healthy, but they could be sick, that's why they're testing these people in this category at least all the time then is is by is trying to figure out if they're asymptomatic right right exactly yep and the especially like the athletes and stuff who are in contact with entire teams mm-hmm. and other teams you know of individuals that's why they're testing them so regularly to make sure they aren't spreading anything but the the means by which they perform the test is there's a lot of questions about it there's a lot of of things that isn't in the public consciousness that people ought to be aware of and this test is the, you know, now infamous RT-PCR test. Okay, so if I schedule for myself a coronavirus test and I go down to the hospital and they perform the test and, and they collect whatever sample and everything like that, and then I wait for a couple of days to get the results back, this is that test, correct? Correct. This is mo- most likely. There are a couple other tests that are used, but the predominant one is the PCR test. Okay. And so that's one of those kind of things that has been, I think, a bugaboo in society amongst people that are are nervous about it, too, is that we hear a lot about false results, false positives, false negatives. Uh, Well, I guess nobody really worries too much about false negatives, because if you're not sick and you don't feel sick and you know, whatever, then you don't think about it too much afterwards. But, but I mean, as a population, I guess, you you know, if not having symptoms, I could affect somebody, I should be worried about false negative, but also about false positive is the thing that you usually really hear about. Is there credence to that in in regards to that? Yeah, there's definitely credence, uh, especially with the PCR. The problem with the PCR test is that it is hypersensitive. It means it can find potentially a molecule of something in your body if you if you look close enough. And so what ends up happening is that after you get your swab and they perform the PCR test, what they're doing is they're amplifying, that is to say multiplying that viral particle many, many times. It depends on the cycle. So and what's happening with the term cycle is that they they put this sample in a little machine that runs through a series of temperatures. And once it goes through one series, that's one cycle. 
and it's amplified that, that RNA molecule from the virus that many times. And then subsequently, each cycle exponentially expands the number of viral particles they're looking at there. And so, for example, when you get to 20 cycles, you've amplified that original amount a million times, approximately. When you get to 30 cycles, you've multiplied it approximately a billion times. And when you get to 40 cycles, you multiply it approximately a trillion times, right? I don't know about you, but if you multiply something a billion times and you still can't see it, that's it's not there, you know? You know, that's, that's pretty wild. But what, what they're doing is they are running this cycle many, many times. I mean, the, the World Health Organization recommends 45 cycles. The FDA recommends 40 or 42 cycles. So again, that's the trillion times threshold there. And most scientists in the field say 30 is where you should be doing a cutoff for these things, 35 tops. Because what happens is when you get beyond that number of cycles, you're talking about a dead virus. Essentially, you're talking about something that if you extracted it from the person and you tried to grow that virus in a cell culture or a culture dish or something, it wouldn't grow because it's dead. It's not, it's not viable, mm. right? And so that's a false positive. That's not something, that's not an actual sickness. So it's a, an indirect measure of what's called viral load. Cause you know, if you become positive after 10 cycles, 15 cycles, you probably have a lot of virus in your body that's live and replicating. But if it's beyond that, you know, beyond the 25, 30, 35 cycles, dead virus, right? It's, it's not something that's actually active infection in your body. And it's not something you're going to spread around. So I guess in, in that way, would it be sort of, I mean, this is probably like a inaccurate kind of description, but the idea that if I were to go to look for bombs in an area with like a really high powered camera. And so I were to zoom in, uh, you know, I look from, from afar from satellite, no, don't see any weapons. Mm-hmm. Zoom in some more, still don't see any weapons. Zoom in some more, don't see any weapons. At a certain point, I might get close enough and I might see, you know, weaponry on the ground. And then I could say, okay, now I can identify these, these weapons here. Mm-hmm. But if I zoom in all the way, like really, you know, absurdly far, I guess, you know, something that's incalculable, I might find bits of metal that are in the sand. Right. And because it's the same metal that used to be from an explosive device that had already detonated and just left bits of debris behind, then the PCR test that hits off and indicates a positive result at 40 times through mm-hmm. is really like finding a shard of metal in exactly. the sand. That's right. Because the, the, that RNA fragment that they're looking at could have come from a dead virus just as easily as it came from a live virus, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the question. That's the problem is, all you hear on the news or from you know experts is a positive or negative, a yes or no thing. When reality is, they should be saying positive, and here's the cycle threshold you were positive at, right? Because if it's forty, you can be like, oh, well, I'm safe. It's false, right? And this is this is information that should be made publicly available as well. Because if that's what they're just running, if they're running forty plus cycles, just willy nilly every single time they do it, the potential for a massive false positive rate is actually very high. And so that's disinformation coming from the news. I mean, there's no surprise in that, but the, but the, the, the repercussions of that is lockdown. You know, it's, sure. it's that level, right? Sure. And when you, when you look at society as a whole, I mean, everybody that's ever been to an airport or to a coffee shop or a place where TVs are playing news cycles readily, 
you look up there really quick as you're walking through the the foyer of it and you see CNN having it. And what do they have? They have like the running infection counter yeah. where some huge number of people are supposedly infected with coronavirus, but yeah, we don't. And they, and they call them cases too, right? Cases, that's, right. That's the, the term. It's like, this is the first time someone who is perfectly healthy is a case of something just because a test said that they got it. Yeah. Even though they're perfectly healthy, you know, that, that's true. We've never done that for any other sickness. Yeah, no. Right. Uh, so, I know. Right. So that's, uh, that is, that is really interesting. And there are uh, a number of studies out there now that, that say that asymptomatic transmission is actually exceedingly rare. If not, you know, doesn't occur type of thing. And, and one of them, which just came out, it was a study done in Wuhan, China. So the source of this pandemic and the Chinese Communist Party being what it is, they literally got almost every single adult in Wuhan to participate. So they all got tested and they didn't find a single symptomatic case of COVID there, but they found 300 asymptomatic cases and they contact traced those 300 cases and all of their contacts were negative, right? So they didn't find a single instance of asymptomatic transmission there. And then earlier on in the pandemic too, there was a study that came out of like Vietnam or one of those countries where they've traced one individual and this individual had 455 contacts. Again, he was an asymptomatic carrier, supposedly, and they tested all 455 contacts there. There were zero cases of asymptomatic transmission. So asymptomatic transmission seems to be questionable. Extremely rare, right? like you say, questionable at best. And that's in line with what we know about influenza, right? Influenza is, there's no instances of asymptomatic transmission, or at least again, there is very, very rare. Yeah, I think about that a lot of what this, with this that's been going on, that, you know, especially traveling a lot, or like I do, you know, it's, you know, I think about when I do get, you know, being sick. Sometimes I don't know where it comes from because we're interacting with tons of people in, in a parish at any given time could have come from anywhere but more often than not when i get a flu or a cold or something like that more often than not i know pretty much where i got it from because oftentimes i remember i'll be i'll remember sitting across from somebody and they're like oh i'm not really feeling all that good and i think to myself oh i'm i'm gonna get sick now and sure enough a day or two later now i'm i'm sick and and so more often than not i i think i can usually figure out where i got it from you know and that's and that's with just general infections of, of, as a whole so yeah but this would all of a sudden change itself to be vastly different from you know a virus yeah. is essentially and it makes common sense too uh, really i should say it's in line with common sense because the higher your viral load is in your body the more likely you are to have symptoms right so people aren't walking around with these tremendous viral loads and and, and being healthy right, right. Your, your body once it gets overwhelmed that you get the symptoms so that you can expel the viruses to help your body recover right, right. this is very basic stuff actually again another part of common sense has kind of gone out the window with the whole covid thing so most interesting so i think most of our listeners will, will not be surprised by the fact that there has been a lot of questionable information that's come out there about this illness and that we i think at this point in time again most of our people 
are looking at this with a skeptical eye, at least to to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yet the mask part of it has become so pervasive into our society. We find a bit of a division on that. We have some people that are that are are very much strongly against wanting to wear a mask, and some people who are very much thinking that it's a sort of honorable and good thing to do. And then some people fall in between, where it's like, well, you know, it might do some good. It might not be a ton of good, but maybe it'll be better than nothing. And so, first off, when it comes to the general efficacy or of, of masks, is it an effective way of preventing uh, an aerosol spread of a virus? No, no, it's not. And it's really interesting because pre-COVID, the science on mask studies, and there are dozens of them actually, are virtually unanimous saying that masks cannot stop viral transmission. Some of them are even bacterial transmission. They just looked at infection in general, right? And so something seemed to happen between, you know, history and then the beginning of COVID-19 because seemingly the science switched where all of a sudden cloth masks, surgical masks, and N95 masks are mandatory because they, you know, somehow now stop transmission of viruses. Well, pre-COVID, there were studies on all these different types of masks, including the cloth, surgical, and N95 masks. And they've shown that that viral transmission occurs through these masks as well. And that's interesting because you said you 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 say pre-COVID, but I mean, I remember you know the talking heads on the TV telling us at the very beginning of COVID for the first you know couple of months yeah. that you, that we shouldn't wear masks. That it actually is worse for us to wear a mask. Right. And that uh, we'll be touching our face, the masks won't fit properly, they're really not that effective, the virus will still get out, and, you know, it's smaller than the weave of the mask, and then it's, except that was Dr. Fauci as well, the infamous Dr. Fauci. That's true, right, yeah, Yeah. I think that's exactly right, and so, as as well as every, you know, news anchor that, uh, you know, that you saw on TV, period, replicating that. Was that one of those kind of instances where it was they were like sort of accidentally truthful then and yeah. and now well, I think like, it was just convenient truth for them at the time, right? Yeah. Um, but I think too, if like if cloth mask, just wearing a cloth, you know, a piece of fabric over your face ever worked, why wasn't it, you know, a general recommendation for seasonal influenza? People are worried about it. Should have been a thing that we grew up with as kids, you know, just like, hey, if you're worried about influenza, toss a cloth, you know fabric over your face and just go about your day and you'll be just fine, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's the flip-flopping, like you, like you said, of the experts on TV, as well as the fact that they just don't work. Again, they're, yes, they're being truthful at that time. Yeah. And so the question that oftentimes comes to me when I say that we shouldn't, you know, uh, if I question the narrative, as it were, on masks, that, you know, to, to say that it really, you know, it's not, an effective way of containing a virus. You shouldn't be doing that. One of the pieces of rhetoric that, you know, must be in some sort of like stupid meme out there or whatever, I can only imagine because it seems that the hardline masked people all seem to repeat the same stupid phrase. And that just usually means it comes attached to some picture on the internet, I'm right. guessing. But they all seem to a lot of times come back with, well, I hope that your surgeon wears a mask mm-hmm. when you know when you go in for surgery. Right. 
as a some sort of comeback to say that, well, if you know, if you don't think masks are effective in preventing the spread of illness, then why would your doctor be wearing it? And I think that that's a legitimate question that needs to be answered, though. Why do we see most surgeons wearing a mask? What is the purpose of that? Do they wear it to prevent infection of their patients, you know, especially in a vulnerable state where they are laying open? And, and what, to what degree is it effective? And you know, why? Well, they've actually done studies in surgical theaters comparing, you know, half of the doctors will wear masks for the surgery and then another half doctors won't. And they found zero difference between infection rates between those two groups, right? But so the reason the mask is there is to prevent, you know, like slobber or whatever coming out of the surgeon's mouth or, you know, something they ate for lunch, you know, popping out of their mouth and, you know, going into hitting someone's heart, you know, you don't want that happening. Right. So in so, those cases, the mask is 100, 100% effective at stopping that stuff, but stopping viruses, even bacteria, don't think so. So it's really for debris control. And I think people that, that is probably like, it's another example of sort of like the oversimplification of it, right? Mm-hmm. That we look at that and we think, well, the doctor wears it for surgery because it keeps the patient from getting infection. But we don't think of infection as, we think of it as just the general infection mm-hmm. and that viral infection and bacterial infection are the same thing as, you know, other types of means of, of infection. And what we're talking about here is not an aerosol spread of germs, but rather we're talking about essentially infection that could come from foreign debris that would come out of a doctor's mouth. Because we don't think in terms of, none, none of us are around, unless you are a surgeon, none of us are around for surgeries. Mm-hmm. We're, if, if the surgery is upon a, a family member, we drop them off at the hospital. We come back when they're out of surgery. Mm-hmm. When the surgery is upon us, it is over in a, a moment because we're unconscious and and that's it. But what we don't, what we fail to realize is that that these surgeons are in there. And let's say it's a major surgery. It's an open heart surgery. They're doing a major bypass or something like that. You are literally talking about a period of time that could be eight. 10 hours where a doctor is standing over a patient with an open chest cavity, like a wide open chest cavity. And in that time, they have to perform many complex aspects to their job to to perform the surgery well and have to communicate with all of those who are assisting him along the way. And so all these people standing over such a patient talking for 10 hours at points in time they're bound to spit a little bit. They're bound to uh, have bits and pieces of whatever fall off, you know, if, or there'd be the, the the tuna sandwich in the teeth, or you know, or it'd be just the you know larger droplets of spittle that would come out and fall down and be a potential source of of some potential infection. But what we're saying is that that's. It's, it's rare. And it's so rare that, like you said, studies are done that, you, that showed essentially no difference between doctors with masks or doctors without masks okay. first performing surgeries. And that it's never had anything to do with 
aerosol infection whatsoever or viral infection or whatever that that has never been part of the equation as to why wearing a mask right yeah right and there's there's actually the uh norwegian department of health their cdc or whatever you know and they estimated that 200,000 people would have to wear a mask to prevent a single infection. So we're not even talking, you know, symptomatic or severe COVID at that point, it's just a single infection from happening, right? And that's the instance where, you know, if you're wearing a mask and you, you know, sneeze in the huge droplet that would have otherwise landed in your buddy's mouth that's sitting right across the table from you, gets caught by the mask, well, then... You know, that's the one instance where this thing works. And, and I'm guessing that that would be, that'd be like a theoretical 200,000 in a crowded room where nobody is socially distanced <laughs> and, you know, anything like that, right? We're not talking about, because people will be out there doing the math, like, well, 200,000, we got, you know, 7.5 billion people in the world. That's a fair amount of infections prevented, but you, it's not going to prevent infections just from people living their lives it's if you crowded 200,000 people into a in a box and and it's also you know that infection is far more likely than not to be asymptomatic too so it's basically negligible right also why are masks so ineffective at stopping this and the reason is because these aerosols they're, they're a lot of them they come in all different sizes but some of them are incredibly small and i'm talking about the aerosol particle itself right the tiny spit blob, if you will, right? And some of these are so small, they're micrometers in diameter. And a micrometer is one millionth of a meter, right? And so incredibly small. And they've actually, people have actually looked at these things and they've found that even these tiny little aerosol droplets can carry up to 10 million viral particles. In fact, they found, they found anywhere between 1,000 and 10 million particles in these things so that's how small viral particles are. And, and also other studies have shown what's called the minimum infective dose. So the, the smallest amount required to make an, a human sick. And it's less than what actually can be carried by one of these really tiny aerosol particles, right? So if someone who is actually a person who is so a symptomatic spreader of it, and they're exhaling with every breath, countless numbers of these, these tiny... Um, particles, right? These, these tiny aerosols. And these aerosols can exist in the air, can float around in the air, especially if it's dry, mm-hmm. uh, for hours. Yeah. Right? So if you're in a room with someone, you're going to get it. And another key aspect of this is these tiny aerosol particles can actually penetrate all of these masks. So they penetrate cloth masks, they penetrate surgical masks, they can penetrate N95 masks as well. Over and above that, most of the breathing um, that's occurring uh, and the air exchange is actually happening around the mask. It's not actually going through the mask. So if you're not wearing the mask absolutely tight fit perfectly, you're breathing outside around it, the majority of it. So all these things are it's, exiting. It's, it's interesting that you say that because I had seen from so many different sources that, that the particles were too small and everything like that. And then, you know, you kind of hear the rhetoric about the droplets, not the virus, it's the droplets and everything. But the droplets themselves are even so small that they fit through the mask, and and I and I think that's lost on a lot of people. And again, I don't wear a mask all over the place. In fact, I, I rarely wear one, but I do have to wear it often enough because I travel so much. And so I put a mask on for for the airplanes, and I kind of had that, you know, kind of 
wry smile to myself. It's one of those like almost conversations with yourself where I thought, well, here's a perfect time to prove, even though there was like a theoretical audience around me, basically to be able to repeat it to people uh, when I talk about it, that, you know, it doesn't stop those droplets because I come home one night from the airport and it was cold. You know, we're now entering wintertime. Yes, Australia, we're now entering wintertime. Uh, it's, uh, and so I came home and it was cold. And when I was walking to the porch that night, it was a bright full moon. And I thought to myself, well, what a perfect opportunity to kind of display to myself, but then to be able to repeat it afterwards, the findings of, so I put the mask that I had for the flight over my face. And then began to breathe out just normally, not like exaggerated or anything like that. And lo and behold, sure enough, the fog of your breath in the cold still comes out through the mask. And, and that it's like, oh, and all that fog is, is all those droplets that, uh, that you're supposedly catching with, with the mask. Right. And, and, it's, and it's not, it's not true. No. Yeah, no, it's uh, physically impossible, actually. So... We can see pretty easily demonstrated that masks are ineffectual in, in preventing the spread. But I think what oftentimes comes next from a lot of people that I hear out there, well, you know, it's not doing any harm. You know, they're telling you to do this, and yeah, we might know that it doesn't help you. It doesn't help spread it, but what do you care? Just put the mask on. And that way you don't make other people uncomfortable or, or anything like that. This is oftentimes presented, but is it just that benign or are there potentially negative effects from, from wearing a mask as right. well? Yeah. If it was a benign, it would be no big deal. Right. But no, it's not. Um, there are multiple things that um, can happen from wearing a mask. Um, first of all, the mask is, you know, theoretically, if you are carrying COVID-19, if you, if you are sick, you're expelling all the viruses, you know, and, and while many of them do pass through the mask and pass around the mask, there are some that are sticking to the mask, right? And so you're rebreathing all these viruses that your body's trying to get rid of to make you healthier, right? So it, it affects people who are infected with COVID-19. Or with anything at that matter, right? And with anything at that point. Yeah, exactly. Most people, they... Uh, use the same mask over and over again, you know, multiple days in a row. So you get bacterial buildup on there, right? So you're, you're breathing in all kinds of new bacteria. So you're making yourself sicker in that way. I've seen some disgusting masks out there at the <laughs> store before. Yeah, it's yeah. like people are just wearing these grody, dirty, gray, once white, now gray masks. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there are other things that are happening as well. They've been shown to actually reduce one's work performance, right? You're kind of, you know, feeling pretty grody wearing a mask all day and you're, you know, there's things happening there. Um, they've been shown to induce headaches, migraines. Oh, that happened on airplanes before, for sure. That, you know, after a little bit of time, real bad headache come on from, from wearing masks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me, yeah. Me too. Definitely. I get headaches from wearing masks. I unfortunately have to wear a mask at work, but also the most perhaps controversial aspect of it is what it does to your blood gases, right? And so by that, I'm talking about your oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. Well, the analogy I like to use is, is wearing a mask is, is kind of like hooking your exhaust pipe up to your intake, right? And so it's important for you to 
you know, when you breathe oxygen, you're breathing predominantly oxygen. And when you're exhaling, you're exhaling CO2 and you're not rebreathing that CO2, right? And so when you're wearing a mask, you're increasing the amount of carbon dioxide you're breathing and you're also reducing the amount of oxygen you're breathing in. And so both of those things have health effects. And so the, the lessened oxygen level in your blood is called hypoxia. And the increase in carbon dioxide in your blood is called hypercapnia. And hypoxia especially is associated with a number. I won't you know, rattle them off, but there's a lot of, of diseases that are associated with hypoxia. Now, you know, mask wearing has never been studied with respect to these, these things. So, you know, there's no certain answer to whether, you know, hypoxia wearing a mask is going to induce hypoxia sufficient enough to cause these problems. But one thing that it does is, is it reduces your immune system. It suppresses your immune system to the point that it's unable to fight off infections that is already in your body. Right? So, 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 we, so we've shown that it is ineffectual in stopping the spread of the virus, but it actually inhibits you that once you catch a virus that has come through your mask, Absolutely. then you can't fight it off because you're, the carbon dioxide yeah, for, is preventing the, you. The loss of oxygen. Yeah, loss of oxygen. Yeah, yeah. So because, because you're, you mean... Oxygen is obviously very important, right? And right. there's a lot of biochemical mechanisms in your body that, that sense your oxygen level and try to keep it at a, at a nice homeostasis, right? A nice balance, right? And if you deviate from that balance a little bit, your body knows, right? Yeah. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of turn on emergency systems to keep systems going. Well, it, if it exists perpetually, and not perpetually, it's actually, you know, for eight hours a day from when you got to wear it or whatever, these things can become pathological, right? And so... Yeah, there's a lot of things, aspects of mask wearing that are damaging and they shouldn't be mandated without study. And the pro- and it's another issue with it is that these things aren't studied. The long-term health effects of mask wearing have never been looked at, have never been investigated. Yet it's another thing that's been just like, yep, you all must do this now. Um, and it's good for you and it's going to stop this nasty pandemic. Believe us. So, you know, sometimes it's pointed out, like the people, you know, scour the internet and find things, and they'll they'll show me pictures of of people during the Spanish flu because COVID is you know is our generation's version of the Spanish flu, according to what they 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 say. It's the big pandemic. It's different than everything else, etc. And they'll find some some pictures of of people wearing masks. Was the Spanish flu different than the coronavirus in that regard? Is that just based on ignorance or was it something that was mandated at that time or some people just did it on their own? You know, what was going on there? I don't know that it was mandated. It was definitely strongly recommended. But again, there is a, I mean, if there is a recent study, recent, it was like 2008, that was done by Tony Fauci. And he was looking at what was actually causing the deaths of Spanish flu victims, well, the ostensible Spanish flu victims. And he found that it was actually bacterial pneumonia that caused most of the, of the deaths at that time, right? So he didn't, of course, say that masks were the cause of it, but it makes sense that it could play a role because you're, again, constantly breathing in bacteria, bacteria from, you know, nasty masks. So, and especially back then when they didn't have the hygiene level or the the antibiotics and stuff that we have at our disposal now. So so it wasn't 
they were being marked on as Spanish flu victims, but in reality, they were dying from something totally different and something that very well possibly could be at least enhanced or you facilitated by by the fact that they were wearing a mask. Correct. It's, it's a distinct possibility, yes. Okay. When it comes to wearing a, a mask, is there any time at all that we can look at and say that this is something that would be beneficial to us? You know, like, is there, is there a circumstance out there? And so maybe it's foolish for us to wear, to be put into that position to wear it as a society. And maybe the, the, even the, the go-to model of the surgeon, you know, isn't really necessary. Is it beneficial in any way with like, say like combining it with like the face shield when you see the, the doctors and the nurses who have to work with COVID patients. So it's not just merely the mask, but we got a plastic face shield in front of it too, you know, and it's, it may not really, they're probably still going to contract it at some point, but perhaps it wouldn't be like I go and see my first patient and I'll get it right away, but maybe you, we, in time we, you know, we kind of have a slow exposure to it or something like that. Is there any veracity in that, in that type of mindset, you know, or the idea of combining it, not just a mask, but mask with a face shield or, or is this all just kind of like a security blanket in, in the minds of the populace? So I think, if you're, you know, pounding some concrete or you're cleaning out a chimney or something, I think face masks, even a face shield would be great, you know, to stop, stop you from inhaling those things. So like dust and, <laughs> yeah. and rocks right. and, but no, and it's, in all seriousness, it's of steel and stuff like that. Yeah. In like hospital settings, out of an abundance of caution, of course, you know, wear a mask, especially if you're around like really sick COVID patients who are hacking stuff up all the time or, you know, whatever their symptoms are. Sure. It makes sense. Definitely. If you're scared of it, you don't want to get sick, wear a mask, right? But general population, making them do that, no, it's not going to do that. And, and if you are a hospital worker, should you have any real expect? I mean, yeah, it, it might make you feel better, but should you have any real expectation that that's going to help you at all? No, no, I don't. I don't again, I think, I think we demonstrated that it's actually impossible for masks to stop true transmission of this virus, of any virus. So, right. And I guess when you're talking about a single droplet in the mist of breath being able to contain yeah. a million viruses in it, yeah. you, the idea that, you know, a small portion of droplets or a small portion of viruses in comparison being stopped by a face mask is something that is so minuscule that it's statistically irrelevant at that right. point. And if you're inhaling one, it's you're enough. inhaling multiple. You're like, it's not you're just right. one, you're actually inhaling. There's probably thousands, you know? Of course. So, so yeah, it's not realistically going to stop transmission of that kind. Stretching it out to its, its most extreme, you know, those who have to handle viruses on a regular basis in a laboratory type of setting, or those who are responding to like a true unknown outbreak of disease on a mass scale where death is inevitable. Well, a perfect example of like really where if you catch a, a disease, it's you, the risk of death is very high. Mm -hmm. um, like something like an Ebola, right? Mm -hmm. 
what would those people wear? Well, we've all seen the movies, right? Yeah, they yeah. wear full hazmat suits. You know, they get it's, sprayed off. You know, before and, they and so so their airflow is completely self-contained. Yeah. So exactly. If coronavirus were on par with the lethality and danger of something that was really a major threat to society, then we would be seeing doctors, first responders, and technicians in laboratories wearing not a face mask, but in reality wearing a completely self-contained hazmat, head-to-toe covered, no permeability whatsoever, and with its own oxygen source Mm -hmm. that would be decontaminated by harsh chemicals before removal. Right, exactly. And instead, we're putting on pieces of (laughs) T-shirts to cover our face and matching them with our handbags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I think that sort of puts things very much into perspective. Thank you very much, Dan, for your coming on this show and, and helping us out and kind of walking us through some of the science behind what has certainly been a most confusing and oftentimes divisive and frustrating and um, reality that we're that we're living through here and i really appreciate all your your help and thanks for coming on the show thank you very much for having me all right This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.